Today's teaching is called Sinners Open Curtains 2. Or as I was working on this during the week and spell check changed it to She Minds Curry Spices Together. <laughs> I tried to see if I could do a sermon on that one and I have no idea. I know my wife doesn't even like curry. so I, yeah, I got up this morning, there were so many issues going on as there has. There is every day, right? I mean, uh, you got the goofy impeachment going on, filling the news. You can't even see what's going on in the rest of the world in Africa or anywhere else. All the news is just about the impeachment, one side or the other. You got the fun coronavirus going around. You got the issues over in the Middle East. And of course, today we have the Super Bowl, right? So it's the, the Bills versus the, the Detroit Lions, right? Wasn't that right, Bubba? You're not going to miss it. It didn't start early this morning. So, There's nothing I can do about any of these things, but I know who can. Now, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. Some of you have gotten to know me and stuff, and I appreciate Jim. I call him Uncle Jim, giving me a nice intro. But I learn more and more of this every day. So let me tell you just a little bit about who I am through some quotes here. All right? Charles Spurgeon, I'm going to refer to him a lot, the Prince of Preachers. If you don't follow him or get a daily devotional from him, you're missing out. There's many websites that will send you a daily devotional every day. It's the first thing I read in the morning after I praise God. I read that devotional. Charles Spurgeon said this about me. He says, if any man thinks ill of you, Andy, do not be angry with him. For you, Andy, are worse than he thinks you to be. Dr. Lloyd, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about me. The Christian, me, Andy, is not a good man. He is a vile wretch who has been saved by the grace of God. If you knew my life and my stories, well, I think Ken would ask me to leave. <laughs> um, these quotes describe me. If you want more details on me and some of my mistakes and failures, you can talk to my wife, Lisa, after the service. You may miss the Super Bowl tonight, but uh, you'll get a more rounded perspective. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace this morning. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you for loving us so much, for dying for us on the cross for your body being shred and torn and crucified for our sins. Lord, we believe in you. We love you. And we need you even more and more. Be glorified today here, Lord, in this place and in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that we can be here in safety in a warm building. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the leaders here. Lord, speak to our hearts. Minister unto us. Move me out of the way and speak, Lord, from here out to all of us, including my own self. We love you and praise you. Ask you to be with Ken and his family today. Bless them. Thank you to David graduated. And uh, Lord, just go forth today. You know I'm nervous. You know I'm anxious. But Lord, I love you and I want you to be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so today we're going to have a Super Sunday, a four-quarter teaching. I was speaking with Hans earlier. We, 
know each other from years ago, another church I used to go to where I served. And, uh, you know, I'm so blessed here because Ken goes word by word. That's what Hans and, how Hans and I grew up. Word by word, line by line, chapter by chapter, and such. And I tell you, Ken does a great job of that, and it's such a blessing. But when you come in for this, for you know, a one-time speaking engagement or whatever it may be, it's, it's, it's a to- topical study. Uh, you know, so I'm not going to be able to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse today. So today is our Super Sunday, a four-quarter teaching. We're going to cover four subjects, sort of like the way the points are usually scored in the game, maybe today. With a touchdown. You got the pass, you got the run, there's the kicking, and of course there's the special plays, the ones we like to watch, don't we? I'm going to be, uh, I haven't talked in a while, I'm going to be looking at my notes a lot, so um, more nervous than a groundhog probably was yesterday. <laughs> it's funny on Groundhog Day, yesterday was the first time in a while I gave my wife a break on Facebook or anything. Uh, my wife detests hates, gets angry at the movie Groundhog Day. <laughs> I mean, so I always tease her every year, put it out, say Lisa's favorite movie's on and everything else. And uh, so, uh, yeah, the Groundhog is pretty nervous, and uh, I'm nervous, so just bear with me today. All right? So we're going to look at God's grace, prayer, the veil, and relationship. God's grace, prayer, the veil, and relationship. Let's see if we can merge these things in together here. So I'm going to cover a lot of scripture verses today, a lot. I'm excited to hope you are. So please get your Bibles out. Matt has the sermon. It's written down, so we'll be able to print it if you want it later, but he's going to put the scriptures up, and we're going to fly. So get your phones out, your Bibles out, and uh, it's game time. All right? To start off, we're going to look at a few verses on grace. First off, grace is not a thing. It is Jesus Christ himself. God gives us, us, himself, even though we don't deserve it. That is grace. Grace is God's salvation. Some describe grace as undeserved favor, where mercy is the act of withholding deserved punishment. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Now, just so you know, I use a New King James Version. So I know Ken uses the CSB here. So it's been a couple years, wherever. I'm not familiar with all the new versions. Boy, there are a lot of versions. And uh, so I started trying to put these uh, scriptures down, and I put them down in CEB, which is, I don't even know what it is, (laughs) instead of CSB. So Matt's trying to translate them and do everything up there, but you'll you'll get the drift, whether I'm doing it in New King James or whatever version. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one can boast. A person believes in Jesus by faith and receives salvation by grace as a free gift. Now let's look at this. Maybe it's just about me. 
many of us, I know me, have failed at times in our lives. Maybe you're here today and you're hurting because of a failure, a bad choice you've made, a number of bad choices you've made, a bad direction you've gone into, sin, whatever it may be. You may be hurting today with pain in your heart, your mind, you're thinking about it, you're anxious about it, you're worried about it. Think, man, maybe I failed. I did this. And we begin to think maybe, you know, you're a bad person. These other people, they may they don't have it like I have it. They're so much better. I wish I could be like them. We should want to be like Jesus. Now, to help us all out, I want you to understand that there were failures even in some of our heroes of the Bible. To shorten this down about an hour in our teaching, I'll just read some of these things to you as I was taking notes. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper and denied Christ. Says, I don't know him. After all Jesus did with and through him, and I don't know the guy. Noah got drunk. He did. Elisha was suicidal. Wanted to end his life. Jonah ran from God. He didn't run to him, as we're going to be talking about today. He ran away from him. I mean, he ran. He ran, he ran, he got on boats, he did everything, man. He, just, he did everything he could to get away from God. Paul was a murderer. Zacchaeus was too short. Abraham was too old to do anything. Right? Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossiper. Martha was a worrier. Thomas, as you know, was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Rahab was a prostitute. Isaiah preached naked. John the Baptist ate bugs. And, and get this, despite all that happened, he still later had second thoughts about Jesus, who he baptized. Jeremiah was way too emotional, and Moses stuttered. And there's a lot more, folks. But that saves an hour looking up each verse on these things. All right? You can if you want to. The thing is, we're failures. I titled this here at this part, Welcome to the Land of Misfits. None of us are perfect. Again, talk to Lisa later. She'll tell you about me. Do you remember Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Of course you do, right? We all do. Do you remember the island of misfit toys? That's the part I always related to the most. Maybe some of you today feel like a misfit. You ever pray and feel like God doesn't hear you? You ever feel like your circumstances are so big that they're even bigger than God himself. Even God can't take care of this. Do you ever feel like you blew it so bad that there's no way God could ever forgive you? If you do, you're good company. We all do at times. You're not alone. 
Here's the point. Your story is still being written. The only way that failure can beat any of you, any of us, is if we let it. If you let it. Despite our mistakes, God loves you. My friend Gina is here today. I played softball and traveled around the country. I was the pitcher. Her husband was the catcher. Won a few state championships. We had fun. God's been touching her heart. She's here today. And a lot of our parties we had, you know, we had the music going and stuff. And speaking of failure and how God still loves us, not that you have to go listen to it, but the 80s rock band Poison even said this, every rose has its thorns. And let me tell you something, folks, I got a lot of thorns. I got a lot of thorns. I'm surprised I'm so thorny that my wife even gives me a hug. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if God, God who chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Pastor Ken and I, we speak a lot about grace. So in considering our sins, I want you to hear what, again, my friend Spurgeon has to say about grace. This will be a little bit of fun. If you are able to, get out your Bibles and turn to, uh, before we get to Spurgeon, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And again, if you can't get there fast enough, Matt's putting them up. He's my right-hand man today. I'm going to have a lot of scriptures, a lot of food. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, in him, stay with that because we're going to get into it real heavy in a bit, in him. Not anything else. In Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now turn with me, folks, to Psalm 145, verses uh, 8 and 9. Or maybe it's just 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and great in faithful love. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. So no one can boast. It's all God's doing. I love what Charles Spurgeon here was telling you I was going to read you something about him. What he had to say about grace. Yesterday was the anniversary of his death in the 1800s. 
Spurgeon said this. He said, there are many passages of Scripture which you will never understand until some trying experience shall interpret them for you. He says, the other evening I was riding home after a heavy day's work. I was tired and depressed. And swiftly and suddenly as a lightning flash, this Bible verse laid a hold of me. My grace is sufficient for you. When I got home, I looked it up in the original and it finally dawned upon me what the text was saying. My grace is sufficient for you, for thee, for me. Why, I said to myself, I should think it is. And I burst out laughing. It seemed to make unbelief so absurd. It was though some little fish, being very thirsty, was troubled about drinking the river dry. And Father River said, drink away, little fish. My stream is sufficient for you. Or as if a little mouse in the granaries of Egypt, after seven years of plenty, feared it should die of famine. And Joseph said, cheer up, little mouse. My granaries are sufficient for you. And I imagine a man on the mountain saying to himself, I fear I shall exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere. But the earth cries out, breathe away, O man. Fill your lungs. My atmosphere is sufficient for you. That's grace. Now with grace. Now with grace, we should all have a desire to draw closer to God. I think that's probably more of anything in my, my emphasis on my teaching today. Here's where we now go to the main issue of how can I draw closer? How can I get closer to Jesus Christ? Look, man, I read my Bible, right? I'm, I'm a good person. Go to church. But do you want more of Jesus? Or is this enough? Hey, you've done your duty. You came to hear, hear the big, fat, ugly guy speak a little bit. You get some coffee and donuts, and you're out the door and, and get some shopping done for the Super Bowl. But you want more of Jesus? Not just today. Every day. Do you wake up with a hunger? Believe me, being as big as I am, I got a hunger. I got a hunger. When I'm hungry, I want to eat. But do we have that hunger for Jesus? Or are we satisfied? It's something you have to think about and ask maybe yourselves. Are you satisfied? Are you cool? Hey, I got Jesus, man. It's all right. I got him. Everything's cool. I go to church. We should all want more of Jesus. We should be crying out to him in prayer. Jesus, I want more of you and less of me. Now we looked at grace. We're going to look at prayer. I guess you could say we're into the second quarter here, so of the football game, of the four quarters. We're going to look at the beauty of prayer. My friend Charles Spurgeon said, he helped me a lot with looking at the reality of prayer. It's real. I know we pray and we have doubts. I do. This prayer is too big. This prayer is impossible. This can't be done. Well, you understand I did this or I did that, so it's no way God's going to do this for me. I can't figure it out. I've talked to my friends. They can't figure it out. 
I don't know what to do. The numbers don't add up. The thing's broke. I've asked for help. No one will help me. The reality of prayer to Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said, we all have personal banks of faith. In his book, Faith's Checkbook, and that's the devotional I would recommend if you sign up to get it every day, Faith's Checkbook. Spurgeon tells us to look at God's Bible verses as a check from Jesus Christ to each one of us. We can take these promises, read them, and with faith, then cash them in at the bank of heaven to receive the gifts and the promises that God has said God does not lie. God does not deceive. He is honest and true. He is faithful. Why, oh, why do we read these promises and much more and then close up in doubt? Why? How foolish I am. Why? He wrote it in his blood. It's in the word. It's from him who's higher than anybody and anything anywhere. It's God. It's in his word. These are his promises. And no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it is, no matter what, he can answer prayer and he can help you because he loves you. He's more real than you can ever imagine. Now with this, I'm going to read some verses, but understand, don't be foolish with worldly fake prayers, stupid prayers, trying to make God your servant or your magic genie. People like there like uh, Joel Osteen and others, you know, promising you, telling you you're going to have a Lamborghini and be a millionaire. Be careful of that stuff. Be careful. What God wants first and foremost is for you to know him, to love him, to repent of your sins. He wants you to let him into your heart and life. He wants to grow closer to you and you to grow closer to him. And yes, he cares about you and your problems. God answers prayer. What if my problems are so bad, I'm, I just can't even talk? Let me tell you something. Even if you can't pray with words, even if you're mumbling and stumbling and spit is coming out your mouth because you're shaking, so you're so torn and distressed and you're hurting, God takes every bit of that mumbling gibberish and stuff, and he takes that and he molds that into a prayer into his heart. He don't need you to speak clearly. He don't need you to speak with an accent, a dialect, or anything else. He can make out what you're saying. If your tears are falling so hard from your face, they're just wetting up your Bible or whatever it may be and falling into your pillow, God is catching every one of those tears from your eyes and storing them in heaven. You know the child story of a kid? He went to church. People met at church to pray for rain. It had been dry and the crops weren't growing. As as she got ready to go to church, she took an umbrella with her because she thought she might just get wet coming on home. That's believing, man. Believe in God and his promises. If we come to heaven's bank at the right date, we will receive the promises. If the promise and the date should be further on, we need to wait patiently for it. 
We need to, Jesus said to keep knocking, keep asking, keep coming to him. Now we're going to get into some more scriptures. We're going to visit the town of Psalms. Some of God's promises. Get your fingers ready and go to Psalms. We're going to cover a number of verses in Psalms. I'm going to do them in order as we go through Psalms. No, I'm not starting in Psalm 1, 1 and taking to the very end. You're going to turn with me to Psalm 46, verse 1. Then we'll be going to uh, Psalm 50. But. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. New King James, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. You. If you want to, go ahead and put your name right there in your Bible. You, your name. He will deliver me. Is he? Is God really your refuge and strength? Will God really help you? Question. Answer. Does he lie? He doesn't lie. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call on me in the day of trouble. That's what he's saying, right? You're in trouble? Call on me. He's saying to you, he's saying to you, look, you came even for salvation, right? And you got, okay, so here you are now, and you got some problem, you got some issue. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will honor me. It doesn't say to call one person or another person or a group of people. Though you can, you can ask for prayer, that's all fine. But you first come to Jesus Christ. You came to the one who is more powerful than anything, anybody, anywhere. You come to the one who died for you on the cross and shed his blood for you. Who gave up his life and was tortured for you. That's love, man. Greater love the world has never found and never will see. You go to him. You go to Jesus first. If you can't go with words, you stumble, you mumble, you fumble. You do whatever you can. You go to him. You put your head. You don't want people to hear you or see you because you're embarrassed. You put your head in your pillow and just cover your face. You go out to your car, whatever it may be, and you cry out to God the best you can, and don't worry if it sounds like a mess. Now turn with me to Psalm 95, verses 14 to 16. Is it 90? Oh, 91, I'm sorry. Yeah, 91, 14 to 16. Thanks. Because he has his heart set on me. Go ahead and put your name down. I, Jesus Christ, will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. I'll tell you, the whole Psalm 91 is a great thing to read. Make a note of it. It's, I tell you, that they're all great. All scripture great, but that's one of my super special favorites when you're in trouble especially. All right, we're, we're still in the town of Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 102, verse 17. He will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. Well, wait a minute. I, I know he'll pay attention to the priest and the minister and the pastor or these elders or 
this guy on TV or no, and he will, but he will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute. For me, I'd write my name down there for me. And I will not despise their prayer. Despite what you've done, what you're dealing with today, what's on your heart, your mind, your soul, your emotions, the trouble, the hurt, the pain, the rejection, the anguish, it's there, you know it. Probably every one of you is thinking about some things right now that are bothering you and have been. There's no way out. There's no help. He says, I will not despise your prayer. Come to me. I died for you and rose again from the grave. Come to me. If I did that, I can do anything for you. Come to me. Okay, next thing we're going to do is we're getting into the third quarter of our football game. We're going to look at the veil or the curtain. As our title of the sermon was, Curtains Being Opened. We're finding curry spices wherever it was. Veil. During the lifetime of Jesus, the holy temple in Jerusalem was the center of Jewish religious life. The temple was the place where animal sacrifices were carried out and worship according to the law of Moses was followed. It was a bit away from where Jesus was crucified. Turn with me please to Mark chapter 15, verse 37 to 39. Mark chapter 15. All right. Jesus let out a cry and breathed his last. It says then the curtain or the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. The veil, along with the darkness throughout the land, was the very first miracle of Jesus after he died. One of the first ones was him turning water into wine at the marriage of Cana where his mother was, and this, and this now is the, like, the first miracle along with the darkness after he died. The tearing of the temple was a symbol of the body of Jesus being torn for you and me. Through the blood of Jesus, we all have instant access now to the throne of God. No more veil to stop me or you. No minister, no priest, Needed, just believe and enter one to one. You go to him first and foremost. Now regarding the veil, we look at the beauty and reward if we will step through to the Lord. You can come anytime, anywhere, and as often as you like. 
It was the death of Jesus that had that veil torn for you and I. The veil was symbolic of Jesus Christ himself. Christ is the only way to the Father. This is symbolized in the fact that the high priest had to enter the Holy of Holies through the veil. Now Jesus Christ is the high priest. Let me tell you something about the whipping which Jesus endured here before he died. The Romans were experts at this, man. They were experts. They were. They used a wooden rod, about 24 with 24-inch long straps of leather, and attached to those straps were pieces of metal and glass and bone and fragments. And they'd whip, and as they whip, it would hook in to the skin, and they'd pull back. It was so effective that much of the skin was removed when they did this, and the spine itself could be visible. Jesus' body was torn to shreds, pieces on the ground, naked, hammered, punished, whipped. That whipping man, you can get to the point where even the internal organs and the bones are exposed. That was our fate, guys. People, that was our fate. That was, was for us. We, we were supposed to go through that. It was for our sins, followed by an eternity in hell. Doomed. Eternal punishment away from God, away from peace, away from anything good. Yet Jesus paid the full price of our sins. He took our punishment that we deserve. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the veil is open. The veil is open. Now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, all of you, all of us, me too, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh, that is through his, the veil. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, over the house of God, Understand that at the very moment that Jesus breathed his last breath, the veil that covered the entrance to the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom. Sometimes in our minds we picture a thin veil, a curtain. But the truth is this veil was actually about 60 feet tall. Four inches or more thick. Like the, the chair. You know, I don't think the chair back is even four inches. Nobody's going to tear that thing. And if you did tear, you'd be tearing it from bottom to top, right? It took over 300 priests just to get it set up. We're talking a massive, massive 
curtain. He tore that thing right in two from top to bottom. Let me tell you about the Holy of Holies. God put the veil there for the safety of his people. God Almighty is so special, perfect, awesome, that nobody could enter into the Holy of Holies and live. Nobody. That's how special and perfect that place was. Nobody. Only the one single person, the high priest could do this, and he could only do it then once a year. Get this. They would actually tie a rope around his waist in case the dude, the high priest, did something wrong. Because they couldn't go in and get him or they would die instantly. If he did something wrong, he was dead instantly and they'd have to drag him out with that rope. That's how special and awesome that holy of holies was. You've got to understand how special. We're talking special, guys. And that veil, that curtain, man, that blocked it. The veil represents the separation of a holy God from us wicked sinners. Because our sins, as it says in Isaiah, have separated us from God. All right. Now, considering it's Super Bowl Sunday, we're talking about different quarters as we go through the teaching today. I think it's time maybe for a personal timeout. I mean personal. I want to look at the next veil. Now, we come to believe and understand how special that veil was covering the Holy Holies, and that was torn as Jesus' body was torn so that we could enter in. Now, we don't have to go through any priest or anybody. We go straight to Jesus. There's another veil. This one here gets a little bit, well, walk with me on this. Let's look at it. It's the veil of self. It's your veil. My veil. Here's your chance to enter the game today. Let me prove it to you from God's word. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ... It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Can you say that? Is that true? Does that mean, well, that's okay. I'm crucified. I, I live in them. I go to church. I read a Bible. I got one. I don't know where it is. Or I got two, in fact. Maybe I got three. <laughs> I listen to the Christian radio station once in a while. That's good, right? That's good. Let's see. I, I, I live for Jesus. Yeah. I got a cross on my neck. I got a couple Christian t-shirts. I live for Jesus. Really? We're going to look at some things here. Maybe they'll reflect upon our own hearts and where we're at. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Let it roll, Matt. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified the flesh? Oh, wait a sec. We're talking about Jesus being crucified. Yeah, yeah. With the whip. Yeah, and it tore open his skin. Yeah, and pieces of the skin fell to the ground. Yeah, and he was bleeding all over the place. You could see his organs. You could see his spine. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you mean here about crucify the flesh? My, my flesh. With its passions and desires. We all have them. It's okay. We do. We have them. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, oh, this, this is where it starts to sting a little bit, huh? If you want to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. These are, I tell you, for all my years of being a Christian, they call these some of the hard verses. Ouch. You want to flip the page as soon as possible. Get on to something else. I don't want to read that. Deny yourself. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Oh, here we go again. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. You see, guys, it's ourself that is the veil now that needs to be torn. Are you willing to have Jesus help you tear it? You think it's going to hurt? It's going to be in pain. My life is going to be miserable. That's not my God. My God is going to take that invitation from you to him. Lord, help me tear this veil, this self, and grow closer to you. He's going to take that and embrace you with a love and a hug and an embrace and an answer that's going to blow your mind. Peace that passes all understanding. A present given to you is a gift, but to open it and enjoy it, you need to tear the paper. Veil itself. The veil being torn shows us a new and living way for us to the presence of God. Let me repeat the presence of God. I think all of us, when we come to church, we feel closer to God. Enjoy the worship. We sing. In our quiet times, we feel closer to God. We read the Bible. But we have the opportunity to enjoy His presence all the time. Let me repeat the presence of God. He is real. You know it through faith, the Word. He is our Lord and our Master. 
it is said that those of us who have no master are then slaves to our own selves. Who's your master? Are you a slave to your own self? Slave to certain desires, passions, things that have a control, a grip on you? For God to rule in our lives, we need to die to self and let him be master of all. Question. How does one die to self? I mean, if we're accepting what we're seeing and we are looking at the Bible verses for the evidence, for the proof, as a lawyer would give, here's the evidence, here's the proof, here's the scripture verses, here's another verse that says the same thing, here's another verse that says the same thing, and here's another verse that says the same thing. So we're seeing it, it is biblical, it is true. Okay then, okay, all right. God's repeating it over and over again. Okay, okay, okay. How do I die to self? How? It's no easy task, I know. In your quiet moments, I would ask you to talk to God and ask him to reveal areas of your life to you to you need to give to him. Ask him. He already knows. He already knows. He already sees you. In the dark times, light times, gray times, he sees it. He knows. So talk to him about it. He wants you to. Give him those areas of your life. Read your Bible. We have the luxury. We've got brothers and sisters all over the world, and they're in cages and prisons, putting holes in the ground. They don't got their Bibles anymore. That was the first thing they took away. They're fed scraps, but they're fed it all. And they have to rely upon the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. We've got our Bibles. We don't have to go through what they're going through, which is great. But, but even though we have our Bibles, are we enjoying the presence of God? Things we need to do, prayer, fasting, study of the word. These things are key ingredients to crucifying the flesh that the spirit within us might live. Look, man, I, I, I know it sounds tough. The fasting verse is one, man, I tell you, for my whole life I've been big. I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about that one. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that one. Well, I've done a number of fasts. Recently I've done some prolonged fast. You know what the amazing thing is? being fat and everything else and hungry all the time, God took away my desire for food. And when the fast was over, my wife would say, you got to eat. Don't you want to eat? I still just didn't want to eat. Just had water, coffee. I, I didn't want to eat. God tells us to fast. You can fast. Yeah, it's dying to self. Yeah, it may seem hard. God isn't like that. He's no taskmaster. You tell him you're coming to him. I'm coming to you, Jesus. I'm coming after you. I'm not even going to eat. Now, of course, you've got to follow your dietary restrictions and everything else. And what a doctor tells you, maybe do a partial fast. I know a number of people. They stop eating at uh, 8 o'clock at night from 8 until 10. They just pray, head in the pillow or whatever. They get up in the morning and they pray. And they don't eat until maybe 8 o'clock in the morning. Whatever it may be. Don't look at things like this as a hard thing. Don't do that. No. Look at them as a good thing. Look at something you need to do. You should be trying to do it in one way, shape, form, or another. You be in prayer. You be in the Word of God. A little bit of my story. Some of you already know because I've been here now for a little bit. 
become good friends with Ken. I've gone away to hidden places alone and fasted. All I had was my clothes, my Bible, and some water. I've had a guy drop me off at a, at a, in a trailer out in the woods. Gone all kinds of different things. I had a cabin I rented and, in the Finger Lakes. And I know a friend of mine who would go to a hotel. First thing he did when he got inside the room, he'd pull the cord to the TV. I'm not going to have any distractions. It's really good if you're trying to fast. You don't have to, but it's really good if you can try to get alone, at least for a bit, even for a few hours maybe. Recently, I've gone through some trouble with money and health problems unexpectedly. Not my fault. Pain, anguish, a hurt. No real answers for me. So I've done the most basic and simple thing I know. Got alone in my house and laid down on my bed, the couch, anywhere, just open up my Bible, I read and I pray and I cry. I continually ask God to help me tear this veil of myself, of Andy Chase, my ego, my selfishness, my pride, my lust, my greed, my envy, my jealousy, and on and on and on. It's awful. It's disgusting. It's awful. He died for me, and I'm carrying this wheelbarrow full of stuff around, all happy and smiley. I want to empty that wheelbarrow out, man, and I can't do it. I can't. But he can. And he wants you to go to him and say, Lord, help me empty this out. So I can have that out of me and then fill that void with more of you. Control my life. Live in and through me. You died for me. You loved me so much. Now come and live in me and through me. What do I have more than you? And I ask God to help me with my problems, the money problems and other things going on. Seek him, guys. The veil is open. It's been torn. There's nothing stopping you anymore. You can never have enough of Jesus. Maybe some of you have grown comfortable like me, grown comfortable, relaxed, stale, spiritually dead. You can't wait for this to end because you've got things to do. You want to get out of here. You're just, eh, you're just doing the routine, the steps. There's a song, a song from years ago. I think it was about me. Maybe it describes you too. Just read you some of the lyrics. This is from a guy that was now he's saved, but was an extremely famous Christian. Extremely. Even being extremely famous, and I mean a Christian, he loved the Lord. He still said this. He said, My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up, Lord, with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. 
Please wash me anew with the wine of your blood. It's Keith Green. So what is it? He was one of those guys a lot of churches consider too radical. Because he would talk about dying to self, to grow closer to Jesus. A lot of churches don't want to hear that. A lot of churches want to go through the formational stuff, the standardized stuff, the religiosity. We have a procedure. This is the way we do it. God has his little part in the box. We let him come out and play a little bit, but we've got to go through these steps and these things because that's what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Jesus did when he went to the Pharisees. Turned those money tables up, upside down, scrapped them, got out a whip, told Peter to get a sword for protection. That's my Jesus. He's radical. You can't put him in no box. And if you try, you're going to miss out on the whole thing, man. So what is it that continues to stand between us and our Savior? It's the veil of self that needs to be torn down. For 20 years in this abused Bible, 20 years I've had this poem taped. Looking at the other day, it's all covered with coffee stains and discolored tape and everything else in there. Maybe this will help you. Maybe you can put yourself into what I'm going to say right now. When you are forgotten, you're neglected, you're purposely set at naught, and you don't sting or hurt with the oversight, but your heart is happy being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. That is dying to self, folks. When your good happens to us all, when your good is evil spoken of, you didn't say that. Why did she say that about me? That's not what I said. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wish, wishes are crossed, your advice that you give to people, it's disregarded. Your opinion is ridiculed, and you refuse, you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even try to defend yourself. But you take it all in patient, loving silence. That is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any annoyance, when you can stand face to face with waste, government issues, folly, exaggeration, and endure it as Jesus did, that is dying to self. When you are content with any food, any offering, any clothes, any clothes, any climate, any society, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or record your own good works or want attention given to you, when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met, her needs met, then you can honestly rejoice with them and feel no envy, no question, while your own needs are in desperate circumstances. And you still rejoice because theirs were met. That is dying to self. When you can receive correction 
and reproof, even from one of less stature, younger, whatever it may be, than yourself. And you can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion, resentment rising up within your heart, is dying to self. All right, guys. Now that we've covered grace and prayer and the veil, let's head to the finish. The last quarter. We're going to look at relationship and love. Why do we consent to stand all of our days outside of the Holy of Holies and never enter in past the veil into a personal relationship with Jesus? We hear the bridegroom say, the bridegroom Jesus say, let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice and thy countenance is comely. Song of Solomon 2.14. We sense that the call is for us. But we still fail to draw near. The years pass by. We grow cold and old and tired out there in the outer courts of the tabernacle. And we don't go past a torn veil into a relationship with Jesus. I mean a relationship. I mean not just coming to church. I mean not just having a Bible. I mean not just having a Christian shirt, Christian hat, listening to a Christian radio station, having a cross on your neck. I'm not saying any of it. I'm saying a relationship. I can have a hat that has Lisa's name on it. I can have a shirt that has Lisa's name on it. I can put her picture on my shirt. I can put in a CD of songs about Lisa. I can do all kinds of things. And I could do all those things and not even have a relationship with her. Don't spend any time with her. Don't hang out with her. Don't truly love her. Why don't we go past that veil, that torn veil? You know, there's 18 inches about from your head to your heart. Man, can some bad junk go between those 18 inches, eh? Bad stuff, man. Interruption stuff. Let's put our heart and our mind into God's hands. Some of us think we're already there. As I said, we read the Bible. We go to church. We tithe money. We try to be nice. We're doing the things, man. Don't get me wrong. That's all good. That's real good. It really is good. But there's so much more of deep, personal, romantic loving relationship and friendship with God himself. It's biblical. It's true. It's real. Ask Jesus to tear down your veil. Tear it down. So that you can hold on tight to him with nothing in between. No veil in between. He's tearing it away. You're coming right to him, man. You live in tune with Jesus. In sync with him. The question is this, is Jesus your Lord? And if you say yes, then are you in tune and walking with him? In 2019, when I was still employed, I was on the road over 100 nights. I was traveling. I was busy. Yet I still talked with Lisa. We talk every morning, noon, and night. In between as well, in between my appointments, if I had to drive three hours in between cities, you know, from Charleston to Columbia to Atlanta, whatever it may be, we would talk as I drove through the speaker thing on the phone. 
I have Lisa. I have Lisa. Yet I desire more of her. I love her, and yet I need and want to love her even more. Are we doing that with Jesus? Do we want more? I do. One of my heroes, A.W. Tozer, said this. He even sent it to my friend a couple weeks ago. I think I'd like to just read it at my funeral or so. It says this about us Christians. A.W. Tozer was a very famous pastor, preacher as well. Even so, he said this. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you'll suck the sin to your soul. Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire for you, O God, the triune God. I want more of you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Each of you can say that. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one. Come away, come away. And then give me grace to rise and follow you, Jesus, from this misty lowland where I have wandered for so long. You want to see how crazy Jesus is for you? This will blow you away. Matt, can you put up a verse? It's, it's hard to see because it's a little tiny book. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Get this. The Lord your God is among you. A warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. He will delight. He will rejoice over you in singing. The Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and his body was mutilated and broken down and nailed and he died. Jesus Christ sings over you. We come here on Sunday mornings, we're in our car, and we sing to Jesus. Jesus is singing over you. How can I not touch your heart and break it into pieces and go, I need more of that guy? After all I've done and everything else, he's singing over me. I need more of that guy. I'm not satisfied going to a priest, or I'm not satisfied just going through the, uh, the steps, the ordinances. I'm not satisfied with anything else. I want him. I want that guy. That's who I want. He's singing over me. He died for me so I can go to heaven forever. And he's singing over me despite all I've done and who I am. He's singing over me. How can you not just want to pick up and run to him with all you got but your arms around him? Keith Green said this, another one of the songs. He said, and I think this is what uh, Jesus is saying to you and me. He says, come away, come away, come away with me, my love. Come away. From this mess, come away, come away with me, my love. Come to him. Yeah, you got the problems, you got the issues, everything else. We already covered how he answers prayer. 
We covered that, how he answers prayer. He does. He's real. Is he real to you in your heart, in your mind, in your soul? Do you think about him? Don't mean to be gross. You even think about him when you go to the bathroom, when you're taking a shower. I don't care what it is. Do you think about him? Do you want him with you 24-7, 365? Do you want him to be in you? He said, you die, I live in you. Is that true? Have we given up the stuff that's holding us back, that separation, that door, that veil of our own self? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 says this. I, for I am jealous for you. Get this, this is Jesus. I'm jealous for you. With a godly jealousy. Because I have promised you to marriage to one husband, Jesus Christ, to present you a pure virgin to Christ. There's a hundred more about this, about this romantic relationship God wants to have with us. Paul was saying that, and Paul's directing me. You're, God's your husband. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. Indeed, your husband is your maker. His name is the Lord of armies, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of the whole earth. 2 Corinthians 11.2 For I feel a divine jealousy. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. I know we already covered it, but it was worth to do it again. Psalm 139, verse 2. You know that when I sit and when I stand up. He knows when you're sitting. He knows when you're standing up. He understands your thoughts from far away. He knows what you're thinking even now. Probably when is this guy going to finish? I got things to do. I got to go places. Everything else. I get the point. I get the message. All right, move on. He knows. He knows what you're thinking. He knows. He knows everything about you. He knows what you did last night. He knows everything. Bible tells us in Galatians that when we come to know Jesus Christ, we have died and Christ is now living in us. Galatians chapter 2. Now the Song of Solomon as we get ready to finish up. It's to be read, I believe, and preached in light of the entire Bible through the, new, the lens of the New Testament. I believe that marriage and what we're spoken here of Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, that the marriage that is described can also be a mystery that refers to Jesus Christ and the church and us. I believe that the Song of Psalms, Song of Songs, Song of Solomon is a poetic summary and interpretation of the Bible's big, big story. At times it can be seen as allegorical. I think Solomon, through the Holy Spirit, intended this authorized, beautiful book of the Bible, and it's in the Bible. It's a Bible book to represent the spiritual relationship between God and believers through a poetic description of a king and his bride. Do you know this book, Song of Solomon, is considered by some as a banned book of the Bible? It's the bad book. 
It's the naughty book. It's something. It's bad. How dare they? How dare anyone say any book, any scripture verse is bad? How dare you? Not knowing that the Holy Spirit anointed men to write these passages, write these books. Who are we to do that? It is considered, as I said, a banned book, maybe because it talks about having a good marriage and a good relationship. That's a, that's a touchy subject. We don't want to talk about that. It talks about holding hands. It talks about being in love. Hey, we don't... Yeah, let's, let's get into stuff about the law in the Old Testament. Let's get into some stuff, you know, what Paul did in the New Testament. Don't, don't get all mushy-mushy with me. I think it's because if you read it, you see it, you'll want to know, draw near to Jesus and go past the veil. Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 7, verse 10 says, I am my love's and his desire is for me. I am my love's and his desire is for me. I am my love's and his desire is for me. If you are saved, Jesus Christ loves you. He desires you. He wants to spend all day and night with you. I encourage you, if you're married or have a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, maybe get together, read the Song of Psalms. It's only a couple pages. Read it. Pray to God as you read it. Pray. Soak it in, man. Soak it in. And even if you're single, read it. Look at the spiritual stuff there about how God wants to draw closer to you. He wants to draw closer to you than anybody else. Just go to him. Here's the main thing. You're free. You're free. You can go through the veil, ask Jesus to crucify your flesh, to take care of all this baggage, or you can stay outside the veil. You can feel the love of his embrace, or you can freeze out in the cold of the wind. You can be satisfied with just going to church and owning a dusty Bible, or you can have a personal friendship and relationship with God Almighty. Hang out with him, talk with him, sing to him. Who here likes pizza crust? I mentioned a lot of us are eating pizza later on tonight. Like, huh? You just like the pizza crust? Nah, man. You want that full piece of pizza. Cheese, sauce, and all. Remember years ago, after a softball game, I saw a friend of mine, he had a plate of pizza crust. He had five or six pieces of pizza crust. I said, what are you doing, man? He goes, oh, man, here's a secret. You eat the pizza, and when you get down to the crust, just put it down so you can go back and get more pizza. So I don't spend time eating the crust. That's for later. I'll take that home. I just want more pizza. <laughs> we want the whole pizza, man. Cheese, sauce, and all. He loves you. He loves you. He wants all of you, not just a tiny bit of you. He is your Lord, your Master, and your God. So my hope today as we end is for you to see the trophy. The trophy, not a Super Bowl trophy, but the trophy here of each of us by God's grace seeing the love and sacrifice of Jesus. And not to leave here or end this day until each of us prays to Jesus for help to tear down our own veil of self and grow closer and deeper with him. See his grace. See that he died for you. See that you can pray to him and he does answer in ways you can't even believe. I can do more than you can ask or you can even imagine. You go to him. See that you can love him more every day. Folks, that's how winning is done. Let's pray.